The good folks at Comics for Fun and Profit have been doing two episodes a week um, for quite some time now, and it's all thanks to, first of all, Jason, and second of all, our patrons, who allow us to add the space on our server, broadcast more, store more, share more with you listeners. I'm envious of those of you who have unlimited storage and media server capabilities. We we pay for ours here at, at the C4FAP. It ain't cheap. We thank you so much for those of you who go to patreon.com slash comicsfunprofit and contribute at any level to say thanks, to say I want to be a part of your Slack channel, conversations. I want to get exclusives. I want to get early access. I want to get ad-free access. I want to get swag. I want to get some free stuff. Whatever your reasoning is, we appreciate it at any level because it does make a difference. So from the bottom of Kyle and I and Jason's heart, thank you for contributing. Aloha. This is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing Josh Stafford and Eric Loss. Now, Josh and Eric are here to talk about the 90th anniversary of the Mayfair Theater. Now, this is, you know, when I heard about this theater, this is a historical magical theater that is located in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And it was built in 1932. Now, some I know listeners, you guys are going to go, okay, so how does this sort of relate to comics? Well, um, I interviewed Josh um, last year with his writing partner, Howard Wong, you know, as they talked about Damn Cursed Children from Source Point Press. And if you have not picked up that trade, that is an awesome comic book series. Now, during that interview, Josh mentioned that the Mayfair Theater was going to be celebrating its 90th anniversary, and I thought it'd be great to have him and uh, and his friend Eric to come back on the show to, to celebrate this um, historic event. Josh and Eric um, also have a podcast, the Mayfair Theater Podcast, where they talk about upcoming movie schedules, events for the theaters, pop culture stuff, and their love for movies. Josh and Eric... Welcome to Comics for Fun and Profit. How are you guys doing today? Great. Thanks, Jason. Nice to be back. Yeah. Fantastic. Really glad to be on the show. Oh, thank you very much. Okay. So um, now, where can listeners follow either one, you know, like you or jo you know, Josh or Eric, where can like listeners follow you on social media? I am very bad at my personal <laughs> social media. And I... Somebody said this recently. He said, if you do social media for a living at all, you totally stop doing your own social media because you run out of steam. Mm -hmm. So between a very full year of plugging the comic book and then I kind of mostly handle the Twitter, Facebook, Instagram for the Mayfair, uh, I do very little personal social media, mm -hmm. but you can find me very easily. I'm always updating at Mayfair Theater mm -hmm. on Twitter. Yes. And Instagram, just with Mayfair-related stuff. And if you're looking for me, just find Mayfair Theater on Facebook. And I'm always on there talking with folks about movies that we have coming up. That takes all your time and patience, basically. But I yeah. make up for that by, yeah. <laughs> you know, I do all the other stuff for my personal site. So my, my Twitter and Instagram handle is at Lazron, L-A-Z-R-O-N. Mm -hmm. But I also do music on the side at ReverbNation.com slash L-A-R-S-I-N. 
So, and I've actually gotten to do a couple of musical bits for Mayfair projects, just kind of silly fun, but just, you know, it's, it's, it's nice when something like that comes up and you're like, oh, hey, I can do this and, uh, and make people smile, you know? That's great. Um, so, okay, um, listeners, you guys are in for a treat. Um, I told um, Josh and, you know, we're here to celebrate the 90th anniversary of the Mayfair Theater and our love for movies. I also told Josh and Eric, you know, please, you know, if they, if I ask them a question, if they kind of go off tangent on certain movie scenes, I, it, it's to celebrate movies. And that's, and I told them it's okay. They can do that. Um, also to Josh and Eric, I forgot to mention to you in the, um, um, before we started the interview, kind of like, I'll kind of like, I'll ask, like, um, when I give questions, I'll probably point to maybe Josh, why don't you answer first or Eric, why don't you answer first? Um, kind of sort of try to keep things in order, but, if you guys just kind of just jump in ahead of time, that's fine too. You know, is you know, again, Perfect. it's to celebrate movies. All right. So I'm going to start off with Josh first. Josh, where did you grow up? So I was born in a small, lovely town called Chaville, Quebec, which is, what is it? About 90 minutes outside of Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And just truly like a great little one horse town with a, uh, a library and an ice cream shop and a summer fair and that kind of stuff. Uh, I still have family around there, but I've lived most of my life in Ottawa, moved here, I think when I was around four or five years old. So yeah, so I've been in Ottawa my whole life uh, after that. Okay. And then Eric, what about you? Well, I, I also grew up in a small town, but in Northern Ontario uh, called Perry Sound. And we actually lived 30 minutes outside of that, even further in the middle of nowhere, basically. But my uh, family ran like a small cottage campground resort year round. Um, so we were actually like 30 minutes away from pretty much everybody, but including our local theater, uh, which actually is currently up for sale. Um, so it's kind of funny. It makes me sort of feel a little old, I guess, but, but I moved to, to Ottawa. Pressure. I'm trying to peer pressure Eric into buying it. <laughs> yeah, he's been leaning on me. I'm like in a different lifetime in like a everything everywhere all at once timeline. I probably ran that theater, but for now it's like I, I moved to Ottawa in 2001. Mm -hmm. um and so like that kind of became my my new home and i, I actually i haven't been back to Perry Sound since but no offense to them it's still a great town I'm just i'm here now mm -hmm. all right now eric i'm gonna ask um what was your very first movie that you saw in the theater oh man well it was funny i was thinking about this and i remember like the first one that i saw like when i was a kid in, in that theater was i'm pretty sure it was the fox and the hound it was like a re-release of the Disney movie. I remember yeah. that pretty pretty vividly because there was a couple scary scenes for a three or four year old or whatever I was at the time. But I was thinking about that for the Mayfair because as I said, it moved here in 2001. And so it would have been late 2001, early 2002. And Josh and I talked about what movies came out around there. But the thing is like, it wouldn't have been a movie from that time period mm -hmm. because we play kind of stuff from everywhere, you know? So yeah. the, the more I thought about it, I, I actually moved to Ottawa to attend film school and so I, I obviously was big into that and, and yes. you know, genre stuff, you know. So to my, my best, like, guess would be it, it would be some sort of classic, probably zombie or creep show. Because, um, like, they were, that was the thing that just caught my eye. Like, the Mayfair is just up the street from the Carleton University where I was attending. And so I remember the first time I found out that was a thing, I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is my new fortress of solitude. So, yeah, a great start there, I'll tell you that. So I'm, I'm just going to ask, when you mentioned zombie, what, the movie zombie, was it that, was it from that, oh, that Italian director from, it was mm -hmm. the one made in the 1970s? Yeah, Lucio Fulci from 79. Yes. 
Yeah. And it's so like, it's, I mean, it's not for everyone, obviously, but you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, that an eye catching, eye popping type of movie <laughs> for lack of a better term. It's the, uh, AKA zombie fights a shark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's how we remember it. We're like, Oh, the Microsoft ad that for some reason had a scene from it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I want to say, because, it, because I remember, sorry, sorry, Josh, because I remember finally watching that movie came on, flicks the the channel and it was mm-hmm. kind of like because i remember for years i remember they it was like banned in certain in certain countries mm-hmm. you know because of the um quote-unquote the graphic nature of the movie you know but i remember and i finally watched it and now don't take offense because if you love the movie that's <laughs> great but but for me when i finally saw it like two years ago Mm-hmm. everything all everything had changed you know what i'm saying the yeah, graphic definitely. violence has been ramped up so much like mm-hmm. um zack snyder's um you know dawn of the dead it was like oh my yeah. god or even the walking dead mm-hmm. just watching zombie was like okay okay but i could see how it could be very graphic violence back in the 70s yeah for sure yeah because like the sadness or trained abuse on like there's so much stuff that's way more intense now but there's something about like that kind of you know there's really only two or three key scenes that are kind of horrific or whatever the rest of it is just kind of a vibe but that's kind of why it's cool like it's it's a very unique looking movie and it was kind of replicated a little bit by the dead uh there was two movies called the dead the dead two and they kind of had a similar looking uh zombie Mm-hmm. And I thought that was cool. Like it was very Fulci-esque, but also had cool cinematography. So it's like, it's interesting to see the influence that continues to have. Yeah. Okay. So now, Josh, what about you? What was your first movie that you saw in the theater? My first Mayfair movie was my cool uncle who would bring me to movies all the time. We went to see a Monty Python double bill and it mm. was, and now for something completely different. And I'm pretty sure holy grail i think but mm-hmm. it was two monty python movies and you know monty python's not too racy or controversial yeah. but when you're when you're 11 or 12 and going with your cool uncle that's a cool night at the movies and mm-hmm. so i always remember that and then going on my own a few years later uh, a friend and i my friend lived right near the mayfair and in grade 9 we went to see a double bill of uh, Sign of the Times, Prince's Sign of the Times, oh which is God. the one we were going to because we were little Prince fans because he did Batman. And as far as we knew, that was where <laughs> Prince started his career. Yeah. Uh, but it was double billed with, because Mayfair always had these nonsensical double bills because it would just be like two distributors li- lining up. Mm-hmm. So it was Sign of the Times and Tommy. And so it was two oh. musicals. Yes. But Tommy is out there for a little kid to be watching <laughs> so <laughs> so those are my, my first two double bills at the mayfair were were monty python and prince and tommy oh my god because i'm gonna sorry i'm kind of going off the cuff but i mean for for younger listeners i mean i remember yeah going to double features where you just pay one ticket price to see two movies now it's like you can't do that anymore you know? No, and it, and that's both because seemingly people don't have the attention span, despite them saying they want to see it or requesting it. We did double bills in our early days, mm-hmm. 12, 13 years ago, and they just kind of died out. Like you would have mm. 200 people there for the first show and yeah. 15 for the second show. Ugh. And that combined with distributors don't like each other. Mm. So 
you know, for example, you couldn't play, you know, X-Men, a Fox film and mm -hmm. Spider-Man, a Sony film. Like yeah. you couldn't do that. Yeah. So that makes things difficult. So we've been single screenings for, for quite some time. And, and, and when you're a single screen, it's easier because then you could put a grown-up movie on at 7 o'clock and a crazy horror movie on at 9 o'clock and get yeah. two different audiences there. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but I'm also wondering, too, if it's just also the changing times, too, because like you said, when you guys did the double bills, you know, years ago, you know, slowly things were like, oh, God, I got to get home to do this. You know, I want to go see it. It's like being like a little kid again. I want to see two films. And then I'm sure they probably go, oh, crap, I got to go home. I have to do this. Or, oh, shoot, some um, some TV shows on at nine o'clock. I, I need to be home to watch that instead. So other things are probably drawing it away too as well. I think it's just, you know, my generation of nerd has all gotten older and are grownups with kids or jobs or they have to be up in the morning or, yeah. you know, so they might be able to do one movie, but doing two, that's a, that's a bigger commitment. Yeah. And then also too, like you said too, because also too, um, it's also to maybe our, also our attention span too, uh, you know, because I'm going to be honest, because I, sorry, I'm kind of going off the cuff here, but just um, like when I read certain books, if the novel's too long, I stop in the middle, put it down. Um, whereas recently I was reading this um, Marvel prose novel done by um, um, Aconite. The chapters are like at least eight to 10 pages and I can read the complete chapter and then, okay, I can go on to the next chapter and then just stop. If, mm -hmm. if the chapter is like, 20 pages like oh this is like dredging you know <laughs> yeah it's my wife's reading a book right now where she said the chapters are like two pages each oh. <laughs> but i was like how many chapters are there is there like 70 <laughs> chapters yeah <laughs> all right sorry i'm going to continue on so um josh i'm going to ask you this question um you know what is like some of your favorite movies when you're growing, you know, what are some of your favorite movies right now that you love? Well, not right now, but um, yeah. What are some of your favorite movies that you like, you know, and why? It's so tough because Eric and I have joked, we tease each other that we would be the worst Siskel and Ebert because we oh. just like everything. Yeah. <laughs> like we like everything. So I'm, I'm bad at making lists. I'm bad oh. at, mm -hmm that kind of thing because I just my list would be 500 movies but I always just kind of if riffing off the top of my head for like lifetime stuff yes. um I love American Graffiti mm -hmm. a lot I the just the simplicity of that movie and the music's great and it's just like a great little indie movie mm -hmm. uh it shows you what might have happened to George if Star Wars had flopped maybe he just would have done a bunch more character pieces like that mm -hmm. um but yeah, I love that. I, I I love George Romero. I love Sam mm -hmm. Raimi. Yes. Um, you I got like a Ghostbusters tattoo. Come on. Oh yeah, Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, the, I'm I'm a, I'm very much a child of the '80s. So what's funny is they might not be good, but I love so many 1980s movies that are giant flops. So whether that's uh, you know Tron and Willow and Labyrinth and The Last Starfighter, like it's just all those oh '80s God. movies, I I just yes. really the wizard. love Krull. Oh like, my you God. know, the so wizard. like not good per se, but I love them. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh. And yeah, so it's like, but when I think of the movie I may have watched the most and never get tired of, it might be Army of Darkness. Uh, every oh, time I watch yes. it, I'm still laughing and I'm still in love with Bruce, and I still like 
we we screened all three movies last Halloween. Oh, nice. And they're all great. But something about Army of Darkness, which some people don't like because it's the least horror of the three. But but I'm all in. I, I love that movie. Oh, my God. All right, Eric, what about you? Oh, man. It's like, and I was talking to Josh before about this, where I was just like, two of the worst questions are like, you know, what are your favorite movies and what would you recommend lately? I mean, they're the best questions, but they're yeah, also yeah. the hardest because I'm like, I don't have four hours. Actually, I do, but you don't yeah. have four hours right now. <laughs> but, but anyways, so like, I love pretty much all the genres of film, but like, I'm a huge horror fan, obviously. And so my, my favorite is actually Creepshow. Um, and, and I'm just like, I'm a huge fan of horror anthologies and fifties mm-hmm. horror comics and stuff. And, but just like the mix of like the cast and the music and the mm-hmm. color and the, the effects, obviously it's just yes. such a potent blend. And it really like captures that EC comics feel that they were going for. And, and that really hasn't been, I mean, like the original tales from the crypt uh, movie and, and the series obviously are amazing, but mm-hmm. you almost, it's a bit of a lost art these days. And, and I don't know if that's just because like modern horror has taken over or whatnot, but I mean, they were doing uh, like, there was a great series uh, a while back that was like fifties horror reprint, uh, haunted horror um, oh. that they were doing reprints of that a few years ago. And I was collecting all of the, like I hadn't, really bought new comics in a while and ironically those aren't new comics they're just like repackages but oh yeah but i i love that feel and like that that old you know sort of uh style of of storytelling Mm -hmm. um so like that one that's my favorite horror movie all in but another one i love is uh, edward scissorhands which Mm -hmm. is just such uh, the blend of like gothic wonder and Mm -hmm. kind of the whimsy but also like just like tim burton just had said i mean I'm not going to co-sign all of the stuff that he made later on. Mm-hmm. Not that I hate any of it, but it's just his early stuff, you know, was just had this, this sort of nightmarish heart and mm-hmm. that was, you know, kind of creepy, but also funny. And, and like, you know, you really get to know the characters and like, mm-hmm. that's such a heartbreaking movie, but, but so great. And, and then finally, like the other one I thought of was the 1966 Batman movie. Oh, Cause I goodness. mean, as a kid, like I would, I love that show. I mean, it's even still now, like I love that show Yes. and it's just the heart and the silliness. And, and of course, mm-hmm. like Adam West, you know, it just, it's, it's really indescribable, but like mm-hmm. that movie did such a good job of capturing a, a TV show, like uh, the best of what that show was, you know, yes. which is really hard to replicate, you know? And, and finally I'm a huge Nicolas Cage fan. So, I mean, pretty much every Nicolas Cage film <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Eric before I continue I'm going off the cuff here because I know you said that you love those EC pre-code comic books mm-hmm. I'm just asking you know have you checked out Josh is from Source Point Press Josh Warner um, presents classic pulp oh. Um, yeah oh, what that's it is. amazing yeah because Josh Warner is the um, editor-in-chief at Source Point Press and and um, Josh, help me out on this if I miss something. But I, uh, Josh Warner basically, he'll find these um, old pre-code comics, and he'll he'll try to as much as he can digitally remaster it. Um, he'll put it on single. I think like in single issues. I think there's like three or four stories or something. But the thing is, the the sad thing is, there is no there is no um, um, creator credit in the story and then i think usually in the last page you'll write hey you know if you're reading this if you if you know who did this please let me know so we can give them credit or something oh, awesome and then i think already there's been two trades out of i think one was um crime and ghost stories and the other one was like classic robots and we're oh, talking man. about like pre-code i think like 
from the late 30s, early 40s. So if you get a chance, check it out. Yeah, yeah. that sounds amazing. No, that's right up my alley. Like pretty much, you, you had me pretty much instantly with the start of that sentence. So I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah. So, all right. All right. So, okay, guys, let's, so we're getting to the meat of this, the Mayfair Theater. So, Eric, I'm going to ask you this question. Um, so I'm going to ask, basically, I'm just going to ask you this, the simplest question. If you could just tell us what the address is, the hours of operation, and well, already Josh already told us about the social media, but yeah, where is that? Where is the theater located? The Mayfair Theater. So we're, we're at uh, 1074 Bank Street, which took me years to remember, even though I was going there pretty much every day. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like when we're in a really nice block, there's a block or two of really cool shops, like a cool bookstore and like a pinball arcade and like. Uh -huh pizza place so it's like we really I, I feel like we spearhead that neighborhood but it's, it's really blown up in the last couple of years with some very cool shops um but usually the hours are about like roughly three to ten uh we do three shows a day mm -hmm. uh and and there's a, a midnight movie the last saturday of the month but we've been doing like two per month for june to august just to try something else and, and it's been doing pretty well so hopefully we'll we'll bring that back um and the prices, the prices didn't change for a long time for snacks and for admission. Uh, that was one of the cool things about us was just, you know, we, we just, it's always been an affordable, mm -hmm. cool place, but we finally, the prices went up slightly a few years ago and, and predictably nobody cared. Everyone was very supportive of yeah. like, we've got a really good fan base, but it's, uh, it's just uh, uh, $7 for kids, $8 for members nine for seniors and twelve fifty for non-members, which is still cheaper than the average movie yes. that you would go to. And then membership is only $14 for the year. So it literally pays for itself if you go to like two movies. That's great. Yeah. That is really great. Now, Josh, I'm going to start with you. And then Eric, if you guys, and either one of you guys, if you guys want to jump in and add. So I'm going to ask you, what is the amazing history of the Mayfair Theater? So, so the Mayfair is sadly a... Um, one of the last of its kind, you know, mm -hmm. once upon a time, not just big cities like New York, Chicago, Toronto, whatever, every city had a little movie theater. Yes. The, the smallest little city would have a movie theater. Little towns have a movie theater. And over the years, and it's not a singular fault. Like it, it's, it's not TV's fault. It's not video stores fault. It's mm -hmm. not video games fault. Just the world has changed over the decades. And mm -hmm. so now, Ottawa's lucky that we have two single-screen cinemas left. But even going back a couple decades, like when I was in high school, there's at least eight or ten cinemas, even like kind of multiplex cinemas, that are not there anymore. Yes. So we're hanging in there. We're really an anomaly. And so we were built in 1932. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing about that is we were built in the Great Depression. I don't know why somebody built a movie theater yes. in the Great Depression. You think they would have better <laughs> things to do, you know? But, um, so yeah, 1932, and just, there, there's like some bullet points that I know just from doing interviews, and I don't necessarily know what this means, but I know that we are, we are a Spanish villa-style Mediterranean architecture. Mm -hmm. And I think what that means is when you look at the interior of the cinema, We've got these fake balconies and kind of this filigree around the screen, mm -hmm. uh, uh, fake stained glass windows and kind of tiles and stuff. So I think all that adds up to this Spanish villa style that they used in 1932. Mm -hmm. So all of that helped us get 
heritage status back in 2008, mm-hmm. which uh, yes. helped keep the cinema up and not be torn down and turned into uh, Shoppers Drug Mart, which is a chain, uh, a, a nationwide Canadian drugstore chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so instead, now they built right next door to us, and that's where we buy our butter from. But the plan was to tear <laughs> down the Mayfair and have it turned into a store. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask Eric: Do you want to add anything to that? Well, like I, I mean, I, I feel like I, I hogged the last question, and then oh. he totally just killed that last one. So I mean, <laughs> there's little I could add to to that, but just just to say that, like, it, it really is like a time capsule walking in there, and. Yes. and so little has changed apart from adding cool props like a, mm-hmm. like a carbonite Han Solo and stuff like that, you know, so, which it feels like it's been there since 1932, but it's, you know, obviously hasn't, <laughs> but it like, it's, it's pretty amazing just how well the building is held up. And, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of that is to do with us and just the amount of love that we put into that place. Mm-hmm. And then be- now, before I continue on, like, I'm going to, it's either one of you guys could answer this question, but now when I did some research, it, now there is something it said something in my research it said something about it's the last remaining auditorium clock in ottawa do you guys know what that is yeah that that's so weird because the clock does not when i look at the clock the auditorium clock it's kind of neon-y and i think it looks like 1970s (laughs) but it is from 1932 and this clock has been up in the cinema since 1932 and there's a family that ran the theater from the 30s to the 70s. Mm-hmm. And I, I really don't know much. It's so funny. There's not a ton of history. Uh, but they were the Robertson family owned it for all those years. And we still have, which I love, some old timers who come in and were kids in the, in the 40s or whatever. Oh and have stories about that clock and all the most kind of cliche cinema going stories of our parents would drop us off and they'd give us a quarter Mm -hmm. and we would go to a triple bill and Ms. Robertson would keep the kids and you imagine back then so currently we have 325 seats Mm -hmm. back then it was 600 seats oh god and I wouldn't be surprised if there was 500 eight year olds in there yes and back then they would drop them off and then mom and dad would, you know, go to the hair salon or go buy groceries yeah. or whatever. And can you imagine 500 kids being dropped off for a triple bill on a <laughs> Sunday afternoon? So she would essentially be like, if you don't all shut up, we're turning off the movie and yeah. the kids would behave. And so there's still, there's still people around who have memories of that family running the place way back then. But yeah, so anyhow, so that clock is just, it's a clock in the cinema, which it's a compliment to the movie is most of the time I don't notice it. Mm-hmm. But then every once in a while, if it's like a bad movie or if what, you, you'll look up and you'll see like, like, oh, we have half an hour left or whatever. But, <laughs> but yeah, so it's this, this vintage piece of, of, uh, of equipment that's been there for, for mm-hmm. 90 years. It's pretty calming too, I find. Like sometimes just during a movie, I might just glance over at it. And it's just like, I don't know, it's weird to describe, but it's just kind of like, like a nice, like calming color. And I'm just, even though it's a clock and I, there have been people who've complained, you know, they're just like, Oh, why would you have a clock in a theater? But I was like, Josh says, you don't notice it. Like you're watching a movie. Like you're not just like, Oh geez, look at all this architecture in the way. You know, like it's <laughs> yeah. just like a nice thing to have there. I feel like. Oh my God. But Josh, like you mentioned, and it's because 
I mean, nowadays, most parents cannot just drop their eight-year-old kid off at a movie theater now. <laughs> yeah, the, the good old days were crazy. Yeah. The good old days, I don't know how anyone got out of there alive. Because, yeah. like, even, I, I have to double-check with my mom, because my mom, when she was a kid, lived in Scarborough, Ontario, and uh, Montreal, Quebec, before, I think as a as a youth or teenager moving into Ottawa and in her family my family lived there all that time but she has a story of she wasn't part of this but it was in the neighborhood there was a theater just like the mayfair mm -hmm. and on a sunday afternoon they had luckily nothing happened with this but they had a fire oh god i don't know i don't know if it was like a popcorn fire or what but they had a fire <laughs> and it was when there was 500 kids there on a sunday afternoon <laughs> before the days of cell phones before the days of anything so parents left their kids there for a double bill mm -hmm. and came back to get them at, you know, whatever, yeah. four o'clock, five o'clock. And as they approach the theater, all they see is smoke and a bunch of fire trucks <laughs> and hundreds of kids littering the streets. <laughs> and after that, I think it was Montreal. After that, Montreal went, uh, yeah, okay, parents, uh, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's too dangerous. And, but yeah, like, I can't imagine that, like, yeah, like an eight-year-old just being dropped off. If the parent was like, oh, I'm just dropping the kid off. I'll be back. I'd be like, yeah, I don't think that's allowed anymore. Yeah, you're not you're not Mrs. Robertson or whoever to <laughs> yeah. watch after all those kids. I'm sorry. This isn't the, this isn't the 70s, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. It feels like it sometimes, but no. <laughs> all right. So these next questions, whoever wants to answer it first or even, you know, add anything, that's fine, too. Now, I'm going to ask a very dumb question. You know, do you guys use both? Now, does the theater use both a regular film and a digital projector? Or what? Or which or which one? Which project, projector do you guys use now, currently? So, like 90, I was going to say 90, but it, for real, it might be 99% of the time <laughs> mm -hmm. we use digital. Mm -hmm. And, but... What we were lucky with is many a cinema, when the big switchover happened, mm -hmm. had to toss their 35-millimeter projector to put in the digital projector. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, we have a very big projection room. Mm -hmm. And so we have our two 35-millimeter projectors. Mm -hmm. And then what we tossed aside was our 16-millimeter projector. Mm -hmm. So in that third window, that's what almost every movie is projected through digital but every so often i can't even think of the last one but it's really like once or twice a year we'll screen something on film just for a special occasion whether it be a, a mini film festival mm -hmm. or something like that uh the harsh reality is as much fun as film is it's so much easier and usually better quality controversially to go digital because mm -hmm. It's funny, like Eric mentioned Batman 66, and I guess it was, it might have been for the 50th anniversary, we screened Batman 66 on film, which is super fun. And because you think that, you know, a physical thing has a life. So this film was around in the 60s, was around in the 70s. But the, the poor thing was so beat up and mm -hmm. it was missing scenes and it was mm -hmm. scratched up and the yeah. color was muted. And some of it was comical and luckily it was a good crowd, but like... Batman and Robin hit the bat pole and instead of going down it, it just jumped eight seconds. Yeah. And then like, so you were missing dialogue. 
And, but it was fine. It's fun. It's kind of the, it's retro. It feels like you're at an old drive-in or something. Yes. But a couple years later, and I and again, so I think that was for that. And then in '89, for for Batman's 80th birthday, we screened it again, but on a digital restoration, and it blew my mind. Like the color was so sharp, and the sound and music was so good, uh-huh. and no scenes were missing, and it just makes you go like, uh, okay you know cinema hipster fans like i get i get it i know film is cool but it's hard to argue that digital is the way to go now yeah uh, but we can we can still have fun and play on film every once in a while but but really it's mostly digital nowadays mm-hmm. yeah it's cool to have the capability i find i didn't realize we had the capability of 16 millimeter and 35 and digital you know i guess not all at once but yeah but it is like we've, we've talked about that before too because one of the ones i remember was a double bill of texas chainsaw massacre one and two um, and we did Psycho 1 and 2, and, and I love all four of those movies. But mm-hmm. it was interesting seeing Texas Chainsaw because the, the second one actually looked pretty good because it was uh, newer, obviously. But seeing uh, the original, I remember Lee saying it was the X-rated cut. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're getting to see this X-rated cut. And it was basically red yes. and not just with blood. Like it was like colored red by the, by the you know, I don't know if it was the st- onset of vinegar syndrome or whatever. But uh, yeah, and it just, you know, it wasn't like I was dissatisfied. It was still very cool to see. Yes. But Josh and I talk all the time about that, where you're just like, it's supposed, to, it's kind of like the unspoken thing where you're just supposed to be like film, 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 you know, like, like down with digital. But mm-hmm. we see something like this and we see a 4K transfer that just pops off the screen. Mm-hmm. And you're just sort of like, well, I don't really know what I'm supposed to root for anymore. Like we just, you want to, you want butts and seats and you want to see the best yes. possible oh, yeah. thing. And so you're just sort of like, well, gee, you know, do you want to lug giant reels, you know, pay to have them shipped and all this stuff? And there's just, it's it's not practical. But at the same time, I love that we have that capability mm-hmm. when it comes up. We screened, on 16 millimeter, we screened Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I love because I'm a Mystery Science Theater fan and Mystery Science Theater does that. But we saw it, you know, clean. We saw the actual version. And then the next year was when we got our projector, digital projector, and we screened a digital restoration because that's the other thing. We live in this world where all these amazing, you know, doing the Lord's work, all these amazing indie uh, restoration facilities uh, like Agfa and Vinegar Syndrome and Shout Factory are finding these lost gems that mm-hmm. are not the Maltese Falcon, are not Citizen Kane. They're <laughs> my Maltese them, Falcon. <laughs> yeah, but without them would be gone, would yes. be gone. And yeah. so, so two years apart, one year apart, watched... Santa Claus Conquers the Martians on real beat up film versus mm-hmm. digital restoration. And the digital restoration was so amazing. Like it didn't deserve it. Like it mm-hmm. was so beautiful, black and white mm-hmm. cinematography. And so you see that and you're like, yep, that's uh digital's the way to go for these kind of things. Now listeners, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to go off the cuff here first. I'm going to start off with Eric because now Eric, because you mentioned that you guys, um, showed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the X-rated version. Now, mm-hmm. for some new listeners, they've heard about, you know, just the, I'm sure, just the R-rated version of the Texas mm-hmm. Chainsaw Massacre. But can you tell me, and me and the listeners, what was, what made, um, what made um, Toby Hooper's, what made that classic an X? got the x-rated rating for it because there's because basically there's no there's no gratuitous sexing because everyone mm-hmm. keeps being x-rated is oh my god they showed pornography but yeah yeah 
Well, that's the wild thing because, like, but you, whenever we hear an X rating, you know, you always think, "Oh, pornography for sure." Yeah. And and the Mayfair was a pornography theater in the seventies for a brief time. Yeah, so that makes as sense. As a side note, yeah. <laughs> and so what's funny about that is like we watched that cut, and I expected it to be like way more footage and way more graphic or something like that, and it wasn't. And what's interesting is like the ratings in Canada, I think they basically just came down hard on it by, because it's like by the time we got it and, mm-hmm. and presumably still 74, but it may have been 75 by that point mm-hmm. that it, it was still shocking. And it was so like over the top for that time period for a major release. Yes. And w- what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, I'm sure this happened other places as well, but in Ottawa, um, we, and, and I'm not, I, I'm not certain if this was the, at the Mayfair that this happened, but in Ottawa, the police were actually called to theaters screening Texas Chainsaw, and it was taken away by police. Oh, like, yes, they took yes. the reels. Yes. Because it was this X-rated, like, you know, over the... And, you know, we all know, we've seen the movie now. Like, it's yes. really not much... I, I like, incredible movie. One of the greatest horror films of all time. But yes. but it's all in your head for the most yes. part. You know? and, and so, like, to be able to see that that cut, and, and, and a lot of people who were at that screening probably also didn't know about that the, the, the police aspect and all that, and it sort of gives a fun, I think it's actually in the Wikipedia article for Texas Chainsaw about an Ottawa theater and having the RCMP come and take away, I don't think they arrested the, you know, the guy screening the movie, but still, to, to my mind, like, that's just crazy to think about, like, and just such a, a culture change, even to what would come a few years later with, like, an Evil Dead or, you know, yes. so, so many other classics. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, watching that, and, and that made it to me, like, even more special, even though it was a little choppy and it was a little discolored mm-hmm. and all yeah. that. It, it wasn't, for me, obviously, the first time seeing that movie. Mm-hmm. But to see it and knowing that, like, this was considered, in, in Canada at least, to be an X-rated film yeah. was just, like, so powerful and, and kind of transcends the the actual, like, shape that the print itself was in, you know? So yeah. like to, to be a part of that, I thought was so cool. Even though pretty much everyone laughed when Texas Chainsaw Two came on, but I stayed. So like mm-hmm. it was still a very memorable evening. <laughs> That's great. And then for listeners again, and Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, because the, the, now again the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if I remember correctly, it was kind of like even banned in certain states, mm-hmm. well in the United States, and I think even if you try to get the rent it from a video store, it was like you, you couldn't find it or yeah. It was one of those where if you were at some type of con, you would probably like convention, a comic book convention, you probably could get a bootleg. Yeah, yeah, like a third generation VHS. But I mean, it was definitely a video nasty in the UK as well. And like, certainly like snapped out. I'm sure tons of copies were burned at that time as well. You know, and it's just like, so it's almost comical to think about it at this point, just with how much access that we have to everything in the world. But yeah, like that was such a crazy time. Because the thing is, again, it, I've seen the movie, finally saw the movie like last year on flicks. It, it's amazing how, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, it, it, would, ne- it would never be shown on cable because it's just mm-hmm. too brutal. But then again, that movie, you don't really see any gore or blood. I mean, it's always mm-hmm. it's in your head. Leatherface yeah. smashing the guy's head. But you don't see it. All you hear is the, yeah. You know what I find so crazy is how it's it's really quite a beautiful movie as well. Like some of the shots are really breathtaking, especially in like 4K transfers and stuff like that. Like Mm -hmm. like one of the shot I always think of is when the van is sort of slowing down to pick up the hitchhiker, and you have that wide angle shot of just Uh the sky and the van, and it's just 
beautifully framed and it just it looks so good and it's just i think that's something that was lost along the way for a lot of people when they were just like oh this stupid gore fest or whatever which it isn't either of those things but but it really is like a very well crafted movie yeah all right now josh i'm gonna i'm kind of going off the cuff because you also mentioned one of my guilty pleasure films as a kid santa claus conquered the martian can you (laughs) tell our listeners what is so special about this movie? Because I kind of know it's, it's, it's like number, like either the top three movies, not the best list. (laughs) (laughs) One of those big cult classics. It's a, it's a bonkers holiday season movie where Santa Claus gets, does he he gets kidnapped by Martians? So he will bring Christmas to Mars. And, it's just like it's made for about a nickel. It <laughs> it, it looks like sets from a high school play, mm-hmm. and it's just hilarious. And and it has been riffed by both Mystery Science Theater and Riff Tracks, mm-hmm. so you can see two different groups of people make fun of it. Yes, but watching it, watching something like that with a crowd, it really shows you why watching movies in a cinema is better than at home. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's the convenience of being at home and you could watch whatever you want and you can mm-hmm. pause and all that kind of yes. stuff. But even, like, say we had 50 people watching Santa Claus Conquers the Martians that night, just people laughing and kind of being just stunned at how weird the movie is. And then a movie like that getting a round of applause at the end, you know, mm-hmm. it's just super fun. And and it's this, this lost thing, like watching a movie like that. I, I forget what year it's from, but... Watching it at home, you're watching a movie at home. But watching that at a cinema, especially like the Mayfair, it really feels like time travel. It really mm-hmm. kind of shuts off your other senses and just lets you focus on watching this movie that, you know, when we screened it a few years back, it probably hadn't been on a big screen since it first came out. Yes. It was probably at a drive-in in Ottawa back in 1960 or whatever year that movie is. Mm-hmm. And that's fun. That is really that nobody else is hosting that kind of event. So mm-hmm. it's easy to find that movie now. I think it might even, it's public domain, so I don't mm-hmm. think it's hard yeah. to find. But anytime we have a chance to screen some weird cult movie like that, we we do pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to say that's a great segue into my next question. And like I said, again, actually, um, Eric, I'll start off with you. So kind of like what kind of movies does the Mayfair show, you know, um, and I'm, what I'm talking about is like, you know, is it kind of like, um, is it like, you know, world premiere movies and you already, Josh, you already mentioned like cult classics, but what kind of, what, what range of movies do you guys show basically? Well, it's like, that's one of the things that I, I love about it so much. Cause like, there's such a good mix and like there, there is like, we Ottawa is lucky enough to have two independent theaters. Mm-hmm. And I find like, the, you know, and sometimes there's a bit of uh, a, a bleed over between the two in terms of what they show. But I find that, you know, the other one kind of tended to be more art housey type stuff and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And we do show that as well. Yes. But the thing I like about us is like, it, it's a really good mix of, of new and old um, and generally avoiding blockbusters. But, you know, occasionally mm-hmm. we'll, we'll show like a, a Star Wars or, yeah. you know, King Kong, Godzilla type of thing. Yeah. But uh but generally, like, we're really well positioned to accept premieres of sort of mid-level films that are, you know, like, not, you know, 
budgets of 10 to 15 million, 40 million, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the cineplex or the multiplex, I should say, they, they don't really seem to have the space for stuff like that, especially nowadays when they're playing, you know, Marvel in every screen, you know, and, yeah. and it's great. I mean, that's great for people going to see Marvel movies, which is also us, obviously, but, yes. you know, it, it just, you, you can only play so much. Mm-hmm. So like we, we, tep- we typically uh, tend to have sort of new transfers of classic movies, uh, more and more these days too, with more of them coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, also, you know, like dramas, documentaries, um, and anything from like sort of like horror to action to comedy mm-hmm. uh, to sort of festival stuff. So it's like I, I'm always amazed at, at. I mean, I certainly wouldn't want to be the booker for us because it's just so hard to juggle, you know, the timing and what's going to appeal to everyone. But but generally, we have like a three o'clock movie, six o'clock movie, nine o'clock movie, and, and it's such a beautiful mix of like, mm-hmm. you know obviously like a bit of an older crowd in the early afternoon when most people are at work mm-hmm. and that six o'clock is kind of a compromise between the two and, 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 you know, might be like a lighthearted or kind of an actiony thing. And then nine o'clock can be like a, a modern horror movie or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it, a lot of theaters wouldn't be able to take that risk and, and juggle yes. so many genres, but we really do an admirable job. I'm going to ask Josh, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah. It's what I love about the Mayfair is that we kind of, show something for everybody uh, mm-hmm. just so today we screened a movie called the phantom of the open as our matinee mm-hmm. which is a really great british comedy a true story about the world's worst golfer uh starring mark rylance who's been the hardest working man in show business for the past few years mm-hmm. so that's kind of a you know that's the kind of movie that you don't want to be too cliche or too uh you know judging people ageist or anything but that's like a nice senior citizen movie that's the kind of movie you could bring mom to Mm -hmm. uh then our six o'clock movie today uh was everything everywhere all at once Mm -hmm. so giant epic Mm sci-fi martial arts you know amazing movie and And it's sixth week uh uh yes and it's going away that's it Uh, ah well that's a huge run it had a good run uh and then our nine o'clock movie is uh thief the Michael Mann early 80s R-rated crime genre movie and we're playing that as a tribute to James Caan so that's another thing is like we're we're not superb business people because (laughs) we place we we play stuff that we know will get a crowd but we also will play Thief for a couple nights as a tribute to James Caan and that might not get the biggest crowd but it's a nice thing to do and it's kind of what we've done you know when when Leonard Nimoy passed away, we screened Star Trek Two, and when uh, you know when David Bowie passed away and Prince passed away. When Prince passed away, we played Purple Rain, mm-hmm, which yeah. was an amazing night. It felt like being at a concert. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that's what I like about the Mayfair is that it's it's really something for everybody. Because if you don't like horror films, there's yeah. probably a, a British drama playing earlier in the day. And mm-hmm. if you don't like British dramas, there, there's a documentary about something cool playing at another time so week to week it's always diverse Mm -hmm. you know what i love love about your guys theater again is that you guys have the the flexibility like you said like you're going to play the 1980 movie thief i'm going to say i remember when that movie came out on hbo back in the 80s now um but it's kind of nice because you guys can do you know the nice tribute to james con like it's probably and I could be wrong, it's probably one of his least known works in, you know, that people remember, because everyone will always remember Rollerball or recently Elf, you know, but 
not not too many of them probably would know these hidden gems, you know, of Thief and directed by Michael Mann too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And early Michael Mann too. And like the Tangerine Dream soundtrack is so good and like almost makes the movie. I mean, James Caan makes the movie, but you know, yeah. the soundtrack is such a huge part. Mm-hmm. And like that might not have been on screen in Ottawa since the 80s. Yeah. It might have might have been a while. And again, that's a digital restoration that we're screening because nowadays it's it's libraries are really opening up because film you know it's it's physical it falls apart every time you play it yes. it gets a little worse but now we really have a nice symbiosis with the streaming services because if they're making a 2k or 4k movie for a streaming service that means they've got it ready to go mm-hmm. to give to us to screen as well nice. so more and more uh, it's really funny it doesn't make sense but we're screening movies from from Amazon or from Netflix or recently a couple from uh, Shutter. Is Shutter Canadian or everywhere? I forget. I think it's everywhere now. I, okay, I, I yeah. think it started out in the states, but I might be totally off base. But right, so like we show that stuff, stuff because we can show it for a couple of days. Yes, mm-hmm. and then it goes to a streaming service, so people in town get to see it on the big screen. Yes, but I think that's good because. We just played the Canadian premiere of a movie called Mad God, which is this bonkers, very R-rated stop-motion animation, kind of a Descent into Hell kind of movie. Uh, it's it's um, by Phil Tippett, whose claim to fame was he worked on the Star Wars movies and yes. Jurassic Park and all kinds of stuff, yeah. Robocop. So we got to screen that movie. It did very well, but I always think, there's no shame in that going to shutter the same time we have it on the big screen Mm -hmm. because what about that person living in a small little town that Mm -hmm. doesn't have a movie theater now they can subscribe to shutter Mm -hmm. or pay five bucks to get it video on demand Mm -hmm. and support this little independent movie yes and not steal it online yes and that's good for everybody so they get to support the genre they like Mm -hmm. the filmmaker appreciates that because it's a little no budget movie Mm -hmm. and our patrons get to see it on the big screen. And so it's people are really scared of this, like, oh, streaming services and stuff. I'm like, no, it's fine. Like, mm-hmm. you know, people seem to forget that, that I, I, and I want to find proof of this so I can quote it. But I bet you when, when TVs came out, yes. there was probably an article in the newspaper saying the death of cinema. Nobody's yeah. going to go to movies anymore. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. going to watch TV. And then when VCRs came out and when HBO happened and yes. when, when, when video stores happened, yes, Every time something happens, they say it's going to kill cinema, yes. and it never kills cinema. Yeah. Yeah. And as we speak, all these big movies mm-hmm. are still making, like, you know, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, yeah. Jurassic World are all making yes. $800, a billion dollars, yeah. and everything everywhere is, I think, going to make $100 million, yeah. and that's a little movie that stars Michelle Yeoh, yes. and and so people are still going to movies, so yes. there, it's... it's uh, it's a neat time we're in for that kind of distribution. Actually, Josh, I'm going to, um, I remember reading an article in the early nineties when there was talk of running top budget movies, like a day to date release. Right. And I remember reading that article and the argument was, no, this is going to kill the movie theaters we shouldn't do this, blah, blah, blah. And they, and I remember it came out, the article came out at the time of when Terminator 2 came out. And I'm going, oh my God, 30 years later, look what's happening now. 
you know, especially yeah. with the during the pandemic, you know, the, you know, Black Widow was released day day of day, you know, but people still want to go see it in the theaters. You know, I think it could change things. Like say, you know, when we were kids and ET was in theaters for a year, yeah. that might not happen anymore. Yes. but you can still have Doctor Strange come out for whatever the math is, eight weeks, ten weeks, yeah. make eight hundred million dollars, and then yes. go to a streaming service. And it's clearly working because, you know, the Batman came out, made a bunch of money, came out on, you know, quote unquote TV Mm -hmm. really fast. Yeah. But they've greenlit a sequel. So it's made its money back. And and I think sometimes it might work the other way where a movie makes a little bit of money on the big screen, Mm -hmm. but then does really well on the small screen. Mm -hmm. And that instigates a sequel happening. So it's really not the death of things. And I'm always like. You all remember VHS, right? Like, you remember how popular video stores were? And yeah. movie theaters hung in there, so. Yeah. Eric, I'm going to ask, do you want to add anything to what Josh has said? Oh, man, it's, uh, he, he pretty much uh, nailed it there. Like, it's, uh, I, I, I always feel like I've, I've been privileged to be sort of uh, invited onto Josh's baby, which is the podcast, and <laughs> yes. like to have him. It, it's cool, like to see the amount of hats that he's been able to wear as like a, not only a fan but an owner and running the social media and whatever. So like, you know, it's 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 fun to like. I, I almost feel like I'm a listener some of the time, listening to him talk about the theater because I'm just like, hey, you know, we, we've really uh, done a good job shepherding this into this like fun new thing. But I'm also like. You know, he, he's uh, he, he's really nailed all the facts on that particular one. <laughs> all right, guys, um, I'm going to continue on. Actually, I'm going to start off with you, Eric. Sure. What kind of hidden treasures did you guys find working at the main fair? Because I know you guys found a box of 35 millimeter trailers. What about posters or anything else? Man, well, like, what's interesting is like there there is a, a well, I was gonna say pretty large. It's it's not that large, but I was like, there's there's actually two separate basements. Well, I guess three if you count the. There's a kind of a weird upstairs crawl space basement, mm-hmm. crawl basement, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, so they're all very cool. But there's actually a poster room as one of the things, and so like, I've, I've, or as one of the basements that is. And so like, I've kind of rooted around through through there before, and like. I think a lot of the stuff is not maybe stuff that I've discovered myself, but like there's so many cool vintage posters. I mean, not as many as people would think, like if there's not, you know, a vintage Empire Strikes Back down there or something like yeah. that. Like those are all at Lee's house, I think, cause he's like, he's the <laughs> Star Wars guy and he's the booker. So I'm just like, if there's anything like that, he's going to have it. Mm-hmm. But I, the, the creepiest thing that I found was uh, a bunch of mannequins in the one basement underneath the snack bar which was just like, I, I didn't know about these mannequins. I don't know if anyone else did. I'm sure they did. But I was like going down, we have like a creepy, uh, almost like an Evil Dead-esque basement uh, mm-hmm. down there. So when you go to change the pop or get, get more cups or whatever, you know, you got to go mm-hmm. down there. And so the first time, and it's also like, there is a light switch, but it takes like a few seconds to yes. flicker on straight <laughs> horror movie style. Like this couldn't be more creepy. And so you go down there to trying to get your thing or whatever it is, and you just in the corner, there's just like this creepy head in the corner and like a loose arm and like missing an arm. And I was like, what the hell are these? And what are they doing here? Mm-hmm. And it's just like one of those things that you mentioned, you're like, oh yeah, no, those are the mannequins. Like I never really got closure on it. I don't know why they're down there or what <laughs> they were know. for, but they're, we've, we've now integrated them into the theater. And so by the snack bar, they're wearing like a shirt for the room or something that we had for sale. And they'll have like the mask on during COVID. So it's kind of cool. They've become coworkers. 
So with me not selling popcorn anymore, now we've got mannequins to replace me. So I don't know how to feel about that. Now, Josh, I'm going to mention because um, because on um, the Mayfair website, you guys are selling um, um, the um, 35 millimeter trailers. Is that correct? Yeah, during COVID times, which you know we're we're still in COVID times, but okay. when we were in lockdown, we were just kind of doing whatever we could to make some money and so uh we and it's all kind of stuff we still do so we we sold off a lot of posters and mm -hmm. 35 millimeter trailers and the mindset there is you know i'm i'm a collector i'm a nerd but we don't need all these things so yes. we still kept a lot of posters because there's some stuff like like gremlins or ghostbusters oh or you know that we will play again yeah so we didn't get rid of any of that but a lot of more newer stuff, a lot of stuff we had doubles of, and the trailers, we just had a ton. We had, and I think 20 years ago, probably somebody just threw out a ton of them, but, so we kept a bunch that are, are super neat because <clears throat> we might make use of them, but a lot of them were more recent stuff, but we sold hundreds of trailers at 20 bucks a pop, and that really helped us a lot. Mm -hmm. And it ranged from movies that people might have an association with to mm -hmm. just people thought it was cool to have a 35 millimeter yes. trailer sitting on their shelf. Mm -hmm. uh, one kid bought dozens and dozens and dozens. <sighs> and, I, and I was just like, this is cool. But there's a point where you're like, you know, if if, if you come to my house, I, I took the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trailer. Yeah, so course. I get to point at that and be like, there's I have one trailer. <laughs> there it is. But I think this kid was just thought it was awesome and just collected them. And he he would he would I think he's a filmmaker himself, so he would like nice. take out bits and put it on his Instagram, like showing it over a light mm -hmm. box and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, so it was just a great fun thing to do. It was good publicity, and mm -hmm. and I'm I'm a I'm a collector nerd, but I'm also like instead of those all hiding away in our basement, yes, it's cool that now and I'm just throwing out this number that there's. 300 people in Ottawa and a handful of people elsewhere in the world who have a trailer up on their shelf and can yes. point at it and go, that's from the Mayfair. Yeah. And that's way cooler than them all just sitting, hiding in storage. Yes. It, it's well, you actually found one for uh, Alien 3 for my friend as well. Yeah. Uh, she's a huge, huge Aliens fan. And so he found an original trailer for Alien 3. And so my friend found out about that and just lost her mind and was like, oh, I have to have it. And in the process, she went and picked it up. I don't remember the exact timeline of this, but Josh also found an original poster from Alien 3 and was like, hey, I think your friend would like this. I'm like, uh, yes, yes, she would. And she lost her mind again. And yeah. so like that was just for her. That was like Christmas, you know, Santa Claus conquers the, the Alien 3, <laughs> whatever you want to say. <laughs> All right. So, Josh, I'm going to ask you this question. It's an off the cuff question. Because the Mayfair is 90 years old. Any cool ghost stories <laughs> you heard? So right before my time, some Ghostbusters came into the cinema. And real-life Ghostbusters aren't as cool as movie Ghostbusters. Yeah. But they had their equipment, and they looked around, and they, they concluded that we are indeed haunted. Mm -hmm. And a number of people have seen, like, like nothing too big yeah. my big run-in my story was one night i was closing and a big empty 1930s cinema when you're in there all alone mm -hmm. i've said before like even if you don't believe in anything supernatural mm -hmm. you just kind of have this lizard brain you know you have this fear mm -hmm. factor and so you're you're 
subconscious is going, danger, this is mm -hmm. creepy. Yes. And there's a door to the basement, so I clicked off the lights, the mm -hmm. power, and I closed that door. And any skeptic could argue that this was anything else. Mm -hmm. But it felt 100% like somebody pulled the door mm -hmm. in the other direction. Oh, yes. And instinctively, I grabbed the door, and I felt it, like, pull out of my hand. Yeah, oh, God. And then I just got out of there. Yeah. And then the funny thing is, I tweeted that, and I got dozens of people replying, just basically going like, oh, no, 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 no. And I put a photo of just what the cinema looks like, so you could just see kind of exit signs and a few yeah. little lights. But when you're in there alone, and there's, and I believe this is an illusion of just echoing sound, but every once in a while, you'll be sitting in there alone in the office before anybody else comes in. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just sound bouncing off through our box office and lobby. Mm -hmm. But a couple of times, it's I've I've heard footsteps coming at me. Yes. And then nobody's there. Yeah. So once again, any skeptic could be like, ah, you're imagining it. It was a sound. But when you have been told it is a haunted building and you hear that, you still get freaked out. Mm -hmm. What about you, Eric? Oh man, like I haven't, I've mostly just heard stories like, but for me, it's like the vibe of that place. I, I tell Josh this all the time, uh, but it's just like, you can really feel the spirits in that place, like uh -huh. not physically or like seeing anything, but just like being in that room that you know has been there for now 90 years mm -hmm. and just like the architecture being the same. And like, we've got an old, well, I don't want to say creepy piano, but I mean, just because it's in there, it feels more creepy than it actually is. Yeah. And like, you know, there, there's definitely a feel that, that you get. And, and just to know, like, all the different incarnations that the theater has been and the different ha hats that it's worn over the years, you know. So, like, I've definitely, I've heard stories and, and people, I'm pretty sure, because we actually have uh, a couple of couches in addition to seats and, like, oh, okay. a, a few easy chairs. Oh. So that's kind of that's kind of fun. And, like, I've got a particular couch I like to get to, you know, before everyone else kind of thing. But there's one in the back corner that I've heard is apparently I don't know if that the couch itself is haunted or if it's just that the ghost likes sitting up there but I've, I've heard stories from a few people where they sort of think they hear something maybe out of the corner of your eye kind of thing and it's it's oh. the kind of place where you're like I am certain at least one person has died there like there's oh. no way they haven't over 90 years like it's just impossible you know so yeah. I, I definitely I feel like it's it's it almost has like a spiritual feel for mm -hmm. like lovers of film you know yes and, and so I'm I'm good not actually seeing anything. Yeah. As much as a horror movie fan as I am, I'm like I'm kind of good not not having that in my life. But when you're in there and it's kind of dark, your mind wanders for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, I'm sl I'm slowly going to start wrapping things up, guys. Um, Josh, I'm going to ask you this question. Um, have Have you was there any 90th anniversary celebration that you guys did for the theater, or is there anything planned yet? Or it's funny, Eric was just asking about that and it's the most humble brag but the problem at the mayfair is we're always playing awesome things mm -hmm. so to then play other awesome things it doesn't stand out as much like just for example like pretend we only screened new movies well yeah. in the recent weeks and months we had a classic western festival mm -hmm. or screening stuff like creep show and halloween 3 and retro mm -hmm. horror and that kind of thing uh, so although we haven't done anything with a 90th anniversary stamp on it, uh, I think we will before the end of the year, mm -hmm. especially even if as minimal as on the actual day itself, try to do something extra special. Uh, the first movie that ever screened at the Mayfair, and we know this because 
part of our pre-show slideshow, we actually managed to find the the ad just thanks to the internet, and it's it's an old movie called The Blue Danube, which I've never seen, but I think is a pretty famous kind of Criterion kind of movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's available. Like it's yeah. not like a really famous famous movie. Yeah. But that would be super fun to screen if at all possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we always have cool stuff. Like we we will have a couple of more silent film live bands happening before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, we're on the heels of all this COVID stuff, right? So it's a, yeah. it's a little bit difficult. Uh, people keep asking us about two things specifically is Rocky Horror Picture Show and Saturday Morning Cartoons. Yes. So the problem with both those things is we wish for the best, but, you know, numbers aren't gone. Like, we're not, like, magically cured yet. Yeah. So our shadow cast for the Rocky Horror when they do the show, it's very interactive. It's it's mm-hmm. kissing cheeks and sitting on laps and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So that's hard to ask a performer to do during these yes. times. Uh, and then Saturday morning cartoons, we have a cereal buffet, and you know little little kids are germ magnets at the best of time. So I can't help but think about that. Of if there's a hundred kids and they're all wiping their nose and grabbing cereal boxes and milk and stuff like that. So there's a few special events like that that are that. And this is just me talking, not even the business, that I'm just a little bit hesitant still. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The same but, with the room as well. Like yeah. we, we were screening the room every month and it, it always did well. But a big aspect of that is like throwing spoons and touching <laughs> spoons and throwing them, you know, and then who's picking these spoons up, you know? Yes. So we get a lot of that too, where people are like, when's the room coming back? And you're like, well, business wise, yes, that would be good. COVID wise, eh, maybe we hold off a little bit. But, but the actual 90th anniversary is December 5th. Oh, so we okay. still got time to figure, and no matter what, I'm going to be advertising that day as the 90th yeah. anniversary, no matter what's playing. Now, Josh, I'm going to, like you said, like Saturday morning cartoons and, you know, you guys had a, you know, the cereal buffet and kids are like a drum magnet. I think you know this reference. Damn cursed children. <laughs> <laughs> I know that book. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, Eric, I'm going to ask you this question um, because I, I'm pretty much sure. So the so the theater has held um, now the theater has held like world premiere um, first run movies, right? Of mm-hmm. like independent films and stuff like that. Do you mm-hmm. was there any memorable ones, or was there an, or did you guys have any actors or the directors appear at the main fair? For sure, like one that I found, uh, well, for me personally, anyway, it was really cool. Was uh, during the pandemic, they actually did what was essentially a world premiere of a Nicolas Cage movie called Jujitsu, um, and it was a private screening. One of the guys who was in the movie is basically for friends and family kind of thing. But I basically, I pretty much begged Josh to let me sit in on the movie because <laughs> I was like, I need to be part of this. Like, I need to be, and the, so I just sat in the back and didn't say anything and just kind of let them do their thing. But for me, like that was so cool because they had a red carpet and they had posters and all that. Nice. And it was a little weird in a way because it wasn't open to the public. So it's just if you were walking by, you'd be like, what's going on again? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. but for, for me, being a, a big cage fan, like just to be part of that and, and you know, especially to have and, and I even was able to get a, a poster because there was a couple extras and it just I, I wouldn't have had the guts to go up to the guy and have him sign my poster at his own screening. But I, I thought that that was very cool. Um, but like they've, they've done several screens, but like in terms of uh, 
actors and stuff happening. Like we've had, uh, like Greg Sestero has presented the room a couple times and Tommy Wiseau has come with him as well. Oh, um, nice. and, and yeah, that's done really well. And, and he's got a new horror movie coming out, Greg Sestero does, who, that hopefully is going to be bringing that to the Mayfair this year. Like we don't have a date on that, but, mm-hmm. but one of the cool ones was Crispin Glover actually came and showed a few of his movies that he had made. Um, and he did like a meet and greet and a signing. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Josh and his now wife bonded over that experience, which, you know, makes it even more special. You know? Yeah. Crispin Glover, yeah. who's the nicest guy in the world. He, he's an eccentric, weird guy, but the nicest guy yes. in the world. And he wouldn't leave before everyone had an autograph and was really nice and great to the fans. Um, but so I got him to autograph my Willard DVD. And he had met, at the time, the person I was dating, Gwen, who is now my wife. But this this actor, Crispin Glover, amongst meeting so many people, and he was touring at the time with his movies, he said to me something like, oh, where's Gwen tonight? Because she couldn't make the other screening because she was working that night. Mm -hmm. And he remembered. He was like, where's Gwen tonight? So I said, oh, she had to work, but she wishes she could be here. And so he signed my DVD to Gwen and Josh, and then wrote like a paragraph on it. So then I got to bring that to Gwen and be like, well, Crispin Glover just took our relationship to the next level because now we've got both our names on this DVD. (laughs) And so I can't wait for him to come back, which he also has another movie almost done. So we hope he comes back sooner or later. So, you know, eight or 10 years later, I get to meet him again and be like, hey, remember this? Now we're married. (laughs) Amazing. Well, and we also, well, I think it's cool is we, before they were famous, but we had uh, Tom Cruise and Ryan Gosling both uh, came to the theater to enjoy some movies like during their, you know, childhood, you know, early teens, late teens, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I'm pretty sure Tom Cruise referenced it on, on a late night show or like Letterman or whatever it was, but he called us the Mayflower Theater. <laughs> so it was like so close. We, we almost got a cool shout out. Yeah, he was, I forget the story, but Tom Cruise was an army brat, I guess. And uh-huh. so he, he wasn't in Ottawa for long, but for like a year he was in Ottawa. So yeah, so at some, I forget if it was an Oscar speech or just on a talk show, but yeah, he mentioned us, but got our name wrong, which <laughs> is understandable if, yeah. you know, he, he he didn't live here for 20 years, but but yeah, so he, he was in the cinema at least. <sighs> that is so cool. Okay, um, let's see. I'm going to start, um, I'm going to start wrapping things up. Um, actually, yeah, now, Josh, I'm going to start with you. Now, I know during the pandemic shutdown, you know, like you mentioned that you guys sold um, the uh, 35 millimeter, um, you know, trailers to keep things going. Um, I know you guys rented out the theater marquee. Do you remember any funny requests that stuck out? There was, so I was in the lucky position of twofold. One, I had a bunch of comic books come out during the pandemic, which mm-hmm. is like my dream come true. And two, I was on the receiving end of a lot of Mayfair love because uh, my partner Lee and I as well, Lee did a bunch of interviews as well, but I did a bunch of interviews for 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 TV, for radio, for podcasts mm-hmm. about the Mayfair. And I was on the receiving end of taking the orders for the posters, the prints, the marquee. Mm-hmm. So the Marquis specifically was just this tidal wave of Mayfair love oh, nice. because it ranged from uh, baby announcements to wedding proposals to 50th anniversaries. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, some some friends who have a podcast in L.A. They had a marquee, and uh, an old classmate I hadn't seen forever who lives in Vancouver now, which is like the other side of the country. Yes. Uh, bought uh, and both marquees and buying names on seats. So these are kind of a mix of those people. But uh, up in way northern Canada in Nunavut, somebody bought a seat. Uh, so just all kinds of stuff like that. And everybody who bought a seat or a marquee had a story. So they were like, they were like, my grandma used to work here or sadly, but lovely people buying name tags on the poster boxes or the seats that are like, uh, there's at least a couple of, this is somebody who was a giant Mayfair fan who has passed away. Mm. And so they have this kind of little eulogy tag at the Mayfair. So I got to be on the receiving end of all these people who would be like, oh, is the marquee available this day? Or, oh, is chair number 73 still available? Mm -hmm. And every one of them had a story. Every one of them were like, oh, just goofy stuff. Like, oh, this I'm, I'm putting my dog's name on this. Yeah. Or uh, this was the first date for my wife and I, so we're putting both our names on this. Mm -hmm. Or it's a local business who just in this in the time of just everybody scrambling for money yes. that some local businesses rented the marquee and mm -hmm. put their business, so they were supporting yeah. us. And yeah there's a great feeling about that for kind of indie businesses around town. So mm -hmm. yeah, it, it was very nice to, to be able to get choked up a number of times by people saying nice stories about us. Oh, that's really nice. Now, Eric, I'm going to ask you this question. Um, do you, are there any upcoming events for September or October? Because the thing is when this interview is released, it'll probably be, I'm going to say probably be, towards sometime either in august or early part of september mm -hmm. yeah like well it's 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 funny because like we we at, at the mayfair we take uh halloween month very seriously mm -hmm. obviously <laughs> and so it's it's we kind of joke actually like it, it generally uh halloween kind of extends from september to november for yes. us because october is obviously october but there tends to be stuff literally every year this happens where it's something like we can get that we would love to have in October, but we can only get it last week of September, first week of November. So we've definitely had some stuff where you're just sort of like, you know, I mean, to the average person who isn't us, you might be a little confused to see it like, well, Hey, you know, like this, it's not October. Why are you still playing this? Yeah. But what's interesting is like, you know, there isn't like a specific uh, plan to my knowledge yet. I know they're working on a couple of uh, things behind the scenes, mm -hmm. but I find, uh, you know, it's it's the 40th anniversary of so many classics now yes. that, you know, I mean, uh, like including like a creep show or like an E.T. or the thing or whatever, you know, yeah. you go on forever. So I think like there's been a concentrated effort to try to acquire some of that stuff this year and really make it special. And especially with like everything that everyone's been going through for the last mm -hmm. two years to, to have some sense of normalcy, especially for something that's escapist, like mm -hmm. a horror or, or, you know, a thriller type of thing, like it's it's something I look forward to every year and I almost in some ways hold off on asking what we're going to get because every week I'm always, even when we do the podcast, like I usually don't look to see what's playing because yeah. then when Josh reads it off, I'm like, Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> so it's like, I like to think it's kind of like the, the people, the listeners feel the same way where they're like, I didn't expect him to say that. Mm -hmm. So I almost like don't want to know, but every year they kill it every, every October, September, November. So I know it's going to be good this year too. That's nice. And that's a nice segue into my next question. And Josh, I'm going to ask you this. So how did the Mayfair Theater podcast come about? Years back, we were just, you know, we would chat. I would chat with a projectionist or chat with the manager. And either myself or somebody else would joke and be like, 
we just talked for half an hour. That could have been a podcast. Mm -hmm. And that's what eventually happened. And we realized it's also, it's, it's good publicity. We get a lot of listeners. We get a lot of local listeners. Mm -hmm. uh, we've actually sold ad space a few times. So we're actually bringing in money for the cinema. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And nowadays it's just, it's easy, right? Like say, say if we were doing the same thing pre-internet, it would be a radio show. We would have yes. to go to go to auto university and book the space and have a technician and it would be live or something you know mm -hmm. whereas this i'm i'm not a super techie at all but with a laptop and a couple microphones and a downloaded program and then mm -hmm. me sitting at home for a few hours every week and doing a bit of editing on it you get a podcast so yes. it's a lot of fun and and every time somebody comes in and i know eric has this as well probably especially back when he was behind the candy bar more often, every once in a while someone come in and recognize your voice and go, you're on the podcast. And you get this like, nice. oh, I didn't think anybody actually listened, but <laughs> people actually listened to it. Yeah, and like today, literally today to this day is the fifth anniversary of me joining the podcast. I, oh. I didn't realize, t Facebook nice. had to tell me that. But so <laughs> it was actually like, it feels like it, but also doesn't feel like it. And it's so weird because, I mean, Josh was already doing it for two and a half years before I started. Mm -hmm. And like my first episode was the 125th episode. So it, it's pretty wild to listen to like episode one, mm -hmm. episode 125 and episode whatever the hell it is now. I don't know, 350 or whatever, because like it just it's just one of those things. You're just chatting with your friend about stuff yes. you love. And we never have a script. We we never, you know, not to look too far behind the curtain, I guess, but we just kind of go and we talk mm -hmm. and, and it works every time, or at least to my ears it does, and people seem to enjoy it. So, man, I, we, I, I love it. And we put way less effort into it than other podcasts because we we do have special guests sometimes, but it's when somebody's in the building. Mm -hmm. It's when a filmmaker is coming to do an introduction or that sort of thing. Uh, but for the most part, it's, it's Eric and myself and one of the other Mayfair folks, a couple of the other Mayfair folks. Mm -hmm. So that's good because there's never enough hours in the day. So if I was trying to wrangle down uh, other guests and stuff mm -hmm. as well, people are surprised we've managed to keep it weekly, but that's the reason is because, uh, you know, Eric's been on almost every one for the past five years, but yes. a couple, he's been out of town. Mm -hmm. So I'll just wrangle uh, our friend, Sam from the Rocky horror shadow cast or mm -hmm. Lee will come in or something like that. Uh, we've had some stand-up comedy in the cinema, so a couple of those guys have come in and been on a few episodes. Nice. So we have guests once in a while. <laughs> Occasionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but we just kind of keep it simple, and it's just a nice little half hour. Like every podcast ever, we get distracted, and sometimes we'll talk about completely other things for 25 <laughs> minutes yes. and be like, oh, we got to talk about the movies for 10 minutes. Yes. And listeners, you know, you know, like um, Josh and Eric has said, you know, I mean, there there is kind of a little format of you know, um, you know what the Mayfair is showing. But other than that, it's you know, I've listened to some episodes. It's great. I love it. I I think the thing I really love about it, it's 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 the language is clean, and and it's like only thirty to forty minutes. And you guys talk about not only your love for movies, but also pop culture stuff that are attached to the movies as well too. And that's what I love about you know, listening to that pot to your podcast. Now, this is a perfect segue into my next question. And it's a fun question. And I'm going to point it to Eric and Josh can chime in. Because I know in one pot, one episode you guys talked about, did you guys ever get Treat Williams? Now he is the actor of Prince of the City movie that was back released back in the 80s. 
And I also found um, he's also an actor. He was on regular um, series on the TV show Everwood. And I found this on his Wikipedia page. He was uncredited in Empire Strikes Back as Echo Base True. <laughs> I couldn't believe Man. it. Yeah, that's so crazy. Did you guys ever did you guys ever have him follow you guys on social media? Or did you ever try to invite him up to the Mayfair to do a Treat Williams um, movie festival or something? <laughs> you know, man, I wish I that we had. I, I'm going to after today, I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> I, I definitely, we've talked about him on multiple podcasts, which is not something I would have thought about until this question. But thinking about it, I was like, first of all, our, our, our coworker, Andrew, who's sometimes on the podcast, he's a huge fan of Deep Rising which is like a mostly forgotten creature feature, you know, from the late nineties, early two thousands. And, and I mean, like that was maybe one of the first times I kind of noticed him as well, which is not what Tree Williams probably wants to hear, but anyway, I'm sure he had a good time filming it. But it's, it's funny because like we, the reason we brought him up in the first place is we were talking about the substitute series and yes. he was in, he's not in the original, but he was in the substitute two, three and four. Yes. And I just like, I find that so wild. Like I have a real fascination. We all, we all do on the podcast anyways, have a fascination with these direct to video sequels to a sort of random movie. You might not even have thought was a big enough hit to merit one sequel alone several. And so like, yeah, I, I I find that hilarious. And like, we, we were genuine fans of his work, but hilariously, I was just watching one of his movies yesterday, uh, 1988, you know, classic, not, not classic called night of the sharks. So I'm a, I'm a huge, yeah, no, I'm, I wouldn't, I'm not recommending it in a, you know, real movie type of way, but it's really funny to me to see guys like this that are, you know, become very popular and are known for several different things and are in Empire Strikes Back that you don't even know about. Yeah. But then to have to watch like a, a cheapo shark movie that nobody remembers. And then you're like, oh my God, Treat Williams. So mm-hmm. like, we really do have a kinship with him uh, on the podcast. I definitely got to get him to follow us now. He's just one of those working actors who in an alternate universe would be Harrison Ford Mm -hmm. because in his early career, it was uh, like hair and 1941 Mm -hmm. uh, and and stuff like that. And he's never not worked, but you just see how hard it is, how hard it is to make movies and, and be famous. Like how many people are truly famous and in his early career, that's what I read. Like a lot of people were like this guy, he's going to be, the next big star. Yes. And Deep Rising was a shot at that in the mid-90s, but it flopped. And mm-hmm. he's in this really good gangster movie called Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Oh, but, okay. but I think that came out right around Pulp Fiction, and like Pulp Fiction did really well, and yeah. it didn't. Mm-hmm. So in an alternate universe where Things to, do in Denver, Things to Do in Denver Where You're Dead did well, he could have been like the Travolta comeback right then. Yes. So, that's why I really like him is he's a really good actor mm-hmm. by all accounts, the nicest guy in Hollywood mm-hmm. where I think we have a shot at him is that uh, Gwen and I saw him in one of those bazillion Hallmark Christmas movies recently. <laughs> yes. Ottawa films about 20 Hallmark movies a year for whatever reason, Ottawa has become a hub for, for Hallmark movies. <laughs> so that's where I think we got a shot. He could show up here doing a Hallmark movie that's when we get him. We say, hey, we're big fans. Come to the Mayfair. We're going to screen Deep Rising or something. (laughs) Or the Phantom or something. I think that was the other one. The Phantom was the same year as Deep Rising. And I think a lot of people thought that might take off. And, you know, Billy Zane would have this new franchise. And that is not how it went. (laughs) 
Yeah, and and so it, it's funny. Like so, I think we just talked about him half a dozen times in a row, and it was all innocently. Like somebody brought up Deep Rising, or somebody brought up 1941, or somebody brought up The Substitute, and then we realized we kept talking about Treat Williams. <laughs> <laughs> And I think Andrew had just seen him on The Simpsons, maybe, or something. Yeah, but yeah. Like, so he's he's one of those actors who, bad news, he didn't become Harrison Ford. Good yeah. news, look at his IMDb. He never stops working. Yeah. I think that's the main thing right now. It's just he never stopped working. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Josh, I'm going to slowly start wrapping things up. I'm going to start with... This question, two more questions. I'll ask you first, Josh. What is the most fun or exciting thing that you love working at the Mayfair? Well, the biggest perk, and we have become so desensitized to it that I could never stop working at the Mayfair because it's the best thing in the world, mm -hmm. is that after Eric and I do a podcast on an early Tuesday afternoon morning, we have time to watch a movie before people show up to watch a movie. Oh, nice. So we can watch anything we want. And especially nowadays, uh, the streaming services are all HD. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, Blu-rays are so readily available. Mm -hmm. Or we'll just watch something that we might not be like, hey, we're here. Let's mm -hmm. watch a movie. We don't got to come back at 9 o'clock. So that and being able to do that for friends' birthday parties and for friends' kids mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So that's the biggest perk is being able to come in uh, you could do it as a midnight movie. That's past my bedtime more and more. Yeah. So I like to do it at yeah. you know noon till two, and mm -hmm. then versus that. So so that's the coolest thing about running the theater is being able to sneak in and watch movies when you want to. Oh, that's nice. We watched uh, a movie recently, oh. like a weird, obscure. Nobody's watched it since 1973. Edgar Allan Poe drive-in movie. Mm -hmm. And as the credits were rolling, I was like. We are the only people on planet Earth <laughs> watching this movie in a cinema right now. Yes. Maybe somebody's watching it on Prime right now, but I guarantee you we're the only people on Earth, and that is a lovely privilege to have. Yeah, yeah I think that yeah. a lot, too, about stuff that doesn't get a theatrical release nowadays because it, it is a huge privilege to be able to be like, oh, you know, like, I don't know, like the new Predator movie is coming out straight to streaming. Mm -hmm. And that just won't get a theatrical release, despite yeah. the fact that it looks very good and has been getting good buzz. And to, to know that I can be like, hey, Mr. Josh, can we watch this? <laughs> you know, like, or like the, the Munsters or something like that, you know, like where it's like something where, you know, like there just isn't an opportunity to ever see this in a theater ever. And I'm just like, the, the, the privilege that we have to be able to do that is in, incredible. And and I was actually going to say, for, for my answer, yes. I was going to say it's easy to say that the private screenings that we've done, you know, is is a huge, like, I mean, that's, that's the easy answer. But honestly, for me, it, it's seeing the look on people's faces as they come to the theater for the first time and, and seeing the sense of joy and, and the wonder mm -hmm. in someone discovering my personal fortress of solitude and Josh's, you know, it, it means so much. And it always reminds me of how important places like this are especially in this day and age and and to just be able to be part of that or, or to hear people clapping after a classic movie or talking about how much they enjoyed a, a secret screening or something it mm -hmm. just it really it makes you want to cry in the best way we had just yesterday a private rental in uh and it was two school buses full of kids to watch a movie it was summer mm -hmm. camp and and so they were just coming to watch a cartoon up on the big screen and what you forget, this blew my mind. These were like little, little kids, right? These were like like five-year-olds. Oh, yes. And 
with the pandemic and how old these kids are, almost every one of these kids, this was their first time in a theater. Yes. And they were lovely little kids and they all had their little masks on and it was, it was super fun. And they came in and a number of them comically were like gasping with wonder. Of And, and you would hear them say, are we going to watch a movie in here? <laughs> and when you get that, I think it's funny because I'm like, oh, this is great. We've ruined movies for them now because they're going to go to some ugly box multiplex and be like, <laughs> this isn't what a movie is. <laughs> so, so that kind of stuff is super fun. And yeah, and whether it be... Uh, a little it sounds it sounds so fake but this has happened where like the, the most adorable little kid will walk down the stairs and we'll just be hanging out as people are leaving mm -hmm. and this little kid and it was princess bride and this kid was was young to watch princess bride but this little kid came down yes and they probably watched princess bride 200 times because little kids just watch movies over and over yeah. and over at home <laughs> and she walked down and looked at me and somehow knew i was like the boss and said Thank you for showing my favorite movie. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> your Grinch heart melted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And or conversely, with the older folks, last year we screened It's a Wonderful Life, which we do almost every year, at least every two years. And this this like they were ninety if they were anything. They they were a hundred. Mm -hmm. And they were the guy was in a tie and a suit, and the wife was in a cool dress yes and they were coming to see it's a wonderful life and they probably i don't know the story but they probably have a story whether that was their first date whether they watch it every christmas but stuff like that is just amazing that people uh have an association with us and do special events like that so yeah it's it's uh yeah i, I said the selfish thing of free movies is cool but uh, eric's right that it's just people's reaction and it makes you feel good there's always there's always stress about about leases and landlords and mm -hmm. heritage status and all this stuff and we're never lazy about it but if push comes to shove and the worst case scenario scenario ever happened i don't think the worst case scenario will happen because we have so many friends and yes. i think that will will save us in the long run if if anything bad if any the next time somebody wants to tear us down to build condos mm -hmm. uh you know the prime minister's wife has done events at the theater. So oh my I, God. I, I think we're in good standing. I think we have help. <laughs> so yes, I, I think you guys do. <laughs> Excuse me. Eric, I'm going to start off with you. This is the last question. Any closing words to our listeners? Oh, for sure. I, I, and I know this isn't an option for everybody wherever they are, but I, I always say support your local theater. Uh, Cause honestly, you never know how long that you're going to have the chance and, I mean, it's 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 easy to sort of, you know, get kind of down about it when you see places like this closing in, in small towns or big towns, even like they're just there aren't as many as there used to be. But honestly, if you can get out there and support a little place, even if it's not a theater, honestly, supporting places that are independent and bring you, you know, great vibes and great services is just so important nowadays. And, you know, it's it's there's there's a sadness to it, but there's also such joy when you're still able to be a part of that and bring that to people. So definitely do whatever you can to help independent artists because they need it more than ever. Josh, what about you? Any close any last words or closing words? Sorry. Yeah. Um, if you are listening from far away, which from podcast land is always possible. But mm -hmm. if you ever pass by Ottawa, drop by for a visit. It's a, a great city and a great little community we have. The Mayfair Theater right across the street is a place called Black Squirrel Books, which is a great bookstore. 
There's also House of Targ, which is a pinball arcade. And oh as we are tiptoeing back towards normalcy, Targ has started to have bands back in again. Uh, so Ottawa is a great, a great town to visit. And yeah, if you have an independent cinema in your town, make sure to go to it because I have a lot of friends in the restaurant industry and their biggest complaint is that someone will say, even in the before times, before COVID, they will mm-hmm. say, oh, I loved that coffee shop oh i love that restaurant so sad that they closed mm-hmm. and you'll say oh when's the last time you went and they'll say eight years ago and yes. you're like well yeah you gotta keep going yes. so when you go to the cinema and you buy that ticket and you buy a bag of popcorn you're really helping like that money is helping keep that business afloat mm-hmm. and we hope to get back to this again but in recent years my wife and i visited places like Seattle or Philadelphia and even Toronto here in Ontario. And there's still great indie cinemas out there. And it's funny because I still will keep in touch with theaters in Vancouver and Philly and other places like that. And you see what they're programming and they see Mm -hmm. what we're programming. And there's a great community there. Uh, Anytime, anytime some indie cinema is doing a Kickstarter, I will, will buy a t-shirt from them or something like that. So it's it's uh and yeah if you do want to buy a piece of treasure from the mayfair we still have those posters and trailers listed on our website mayfairtheater.ca and we have sent those out to faraway places so check our list there and you can buy a little piece of uh indie cinema history as well oh maybe an autographed copy of damn chris children while you're at it (laughs) (laughs) all right um Josh and Eric Mahalo. Thank you very much for your time. You know, just thank you for giving me the opportunity to interview you um, to talk about the Mayfair's um, 90th anniversary. I mean, um, listeners, I, you know, I, I know, of course, this, it's obvious this is an audio podcast, but if you guys get a chance, please Google the Mayfair Theater Ottawa, Canada, because I know there's um, other Mayfair theaters um, around the country, and I think there's one in England, but if you guys get a chance, Google it, and I know that there's like, and me and Josh talked about it before, but before we started the interview, but there's like, um, if you can find it, there's like a, a 360 degree um, viewing of like what the lobby looks like, and I believe inside the theater, is that correct, Josh? Yeah, I think if you just go to Google Maps, you can you can select that option of, of walking right into the theater and clicking your way through it. Because it it's really it's really great. Um, now, if you are a movie buff, and it's like Josh and Eric has said, if you're visiting Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and if your schedule allows, please catch a movie at the Mayfair Theater. You know, again, I've seen pictures inside the theater, and as Eric has mentioned, it's like stepping back in time. You know, it it it, it I I don't know how, for for younger movie. Um, for younger moviegoers, I, I don't know how else to describe it, but but just looking at the pictures of you know the Mayfair, it brought back memories of some of my independent theaters that were here in Hawaii. It, it it's really awesome. So if you guys again, listeners, if you're visiting you know Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, please stop at the Mayfair Theater. So now also too, I want to thank Drew, the host of Comics for Fun and Profit, for putting this episode together. So, Drew, thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. And if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. 
And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. And then if you guys get a chance, check out the movies that Eric and Josh had talked about. Like, you know, um, you know, the tech, the, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or I'm, I'm really putting this out there. You know, Santa Claus conquers the Martians, you know, it, it, that, that, that is a pretty wild movie. <laughs> Classic. It is. So until next time, guys, aloha. Aloha. Aloha.